I told Tracy last night, I go, there's some thread I might not finish today. She goes, you said you were going to finish today. <laughs> you promised, and so I will. Uh, so what that means is I am going to plow through a lot of material. I'm going to be talking a lot and maybe a little bit more lecture. If you want to interject, interject. Okay, stick up a pause, slow me down if you have a question about anything that I'm, I'm wailing through. Uh, this last four weeks, it is available online if you want to listen to it, has been about dwelling in darkness, being in darkness. You're going to be in darkness. We talked about that. It's a broken world. Uh, we have our own darkness in our hearts. We have our own flesh we've got to deal with, and that's going to put us into darkness. We dwell with imperfect people, and that's going to thrust us into darkness. And the whole world is broken. Sickness, disease, disasters, it's going to come. Uh, I came across a, a quote uh, this week uh, on a Desiring God article. And the woman had been affronted by a friend of hers once. And then she started going back in her mind because in the root of her mind she was keeping score. And she realized all the times this friend had offended her. And so she was kind of stewing in her juices when she came across this quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. She went on then to write, everything that is happening to me is to make me more Christ-like. Nothing is excluded. Joy and pain, peace and turmoil, fullness and emptiness, suffering and ease. People who love and care for me and people who hurt or ignore me. And that's, that's the whole purpose for us of this study as those who are walking with Christ. To help us to get our arms around that and to cling to that truth when that storm hammers us. Last week we started talking about feelings. What am I feeling when I am in those dark places? Um, you know, what, what a blessing that God didn't merely make us like a thermostat. You hit 64 degrees and the heater comes on. You hit 78 degrees and the air conditioner comes on. We're not ones and zeros. If A, then B. We're not that way. God has made us like him where we are emotional creatures. And when our emotions are rightly ordered, they are good. When we rejoice and delight in good things, that's good. When we are distressed and beset and perhaps even angry over the bad things, that's good. But we are fallen and broken people, and that gets gooned up all the time. Um, one thing that is really important for us to understand as believers and as parents, for those who are parents here, is that we can control our emotions and our feelings. We can rightly train and order as believers our feelings. We are told to put away wrath. If I am told, commanded to put away wrath, that implies what? That you can. You are commanded to rejoice when? Always. In all circumstances. Which implies what? That you can. Okay? So a lot of people think, Oh, I can't. My feelings are what they are. I can't change my feelings. Well, okay, if you're a dog, maybe. But you're not a dog. You were created in the image of God. And we are to bring our, even our feelings into submission under the headship of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the weights that bear us down. And we just touched on these five, and there's probably more in myriads, and you could divide them up. I put a little blue star between ones that are okay, 
and red stars next to the ones that aren't. Grief, yeah, it's okay for a time and for a season. And even in the season of mourning that ends, sometimes that grief is going to remain over the death of a loved one or some other incident. Hopelessness, eh, you know, there's, you're going to be, you're going to feel hopeless. Yes, it's going to happen, but that's not what God intends for us, to be a people without hope. Uh, guilt, there is good guilt, and there's ungood guilt, not good guilt. Guilt that is intended by the wicked one to destroy you and leave you crippled, and there's good guilt that is intended to turn you toward righteousness. Anger. <coughs> Line. <laughs> don't There's, don't don't tread on this one. Don't talk about this. One. <laughs> no, but. You know there there is a there is a righteous anger. There is a, an appropriate <coughs> anger. But as Sarah pointed out, the the verse, you know the the anger of men really does not bring about the righteousness of God. You can be angry for a righteous reason and it not manifest itself well. Yeah. Typically, if we act in our anger, we mess things up really badly, and so that's almost. Our, our own personal anger, that should be like a red light on our dashboard. So, ooh, something's, ooh, something's amiss. You probably don't want to interact with people right now. Maybe. Uh, covetousness. Covetousness. It, it's never good and appropriate to desire what somebody else has. Uh, it, it's not appropriate for you to desire what God does not have for you at this time. Uh, does that mean somebody shouldn't save for a house, shouldn't look forward and plan for a house? No, that's not covetous, that's wisdom. Okay, planning for things in the future, but, you know, I got my little Nissan. Oh, I'd really like a Lamborghini. Okay, don't you? That's, that's, not in, that's not even in my wheelhouse there. Uh, so to, to lust, at, and, and think, about, think about some of the things uh, for which we are covetous. We, we're covetous for things. We're covetous for people. Um, things that we do not have. So let's get into God's provision here. I got gobs of scriptures. Uh, some we're going to weigh on, some we're just going to touch on. Um, I'm going to start in the middle here. Katie, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Ephesians, you get, you get the first verse, Ephesians 3, 15. Katrina, we'll go that way. You got Ephesians 6. Arnold, if you would take uh, 1 Corinthians th 1, 3 through 5. 1 Arnold. You said second. I mean, you said first to him. But it's the second. It's written second. I'm sorry, second. Thank you. Good, second. Second Save, Corinthians. Saving you. Yeah, good. It is actually second Corinthians. Uh, Elaine, John 15 passage. And Olivia, the Romans 5 passage. Okay. God, this, this is really important. Man, when we are in this darkness, God provides for us, God gives us direction to follow in this present darkness to help us. And the greatest thing is not the first thing listed. The greatest thing is be himself. But sometimes we can't see it. And so God gives his people a present grace, a gift essentially, to help us and to assist us to appreciate B. And so that's what I mean by present grace, kind of the sustenance. What do I need now? I need air. I need a drink of water. I need a, a cup of water that I might live. And so God provides these cups of water. The first present grace is found in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 15 to 21. And this is really one of those passages that Man, is, it's, it's a life preserver, uh, a great life preserver. Would you read that, please, Katie? <clears throat> From whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And this passage shows us that our biggest, best, most wonderful thing is God. It is, it is being united with God so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that you may be able to comprehend the love, the height, breadth, length, the, the extraordinary dimensions of the love of Christ for you. That's, that's Paul's ache for the church. But notice, to get there, God strengthens you. According to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is Paul's prayer for the church, and therefore it is his prayer for us, even today, our prayer for one another, that we would be strengthened with power. Why? that we may then move on, that Christ may be dwelling in our hearts through faith. Because when we are in darkness, we are, I can't do anything. My mind is not on Christ. My fellowship may not be with Christ in that. And, and Paul's plea and the grace that God provides for us is that we would be strengthened in him that we might recognize that love that God has for us. And essentially that's what you see in Ephesians uh, 6.10. Did I, I, did I give that to anybody? Would you read that please? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul tells us, do that. Be strong where? Be strong in the Lord. Don't be, don't be strong in you. You're going to fail. Don't be strong. You can't be strong in you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So that, again, the implication is that our, our biting, we're drawing from God in our clinging to God. He will give us strength. The second grace, the second present grace besides strength that God provides for us is comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we... For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Okay, what's what's the common word? Comfort, 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 comfort. I mean, put seized by by all of those. Paul and Paul's talking about the fact that we are comforted by God, and he, he goes on in in eight through eleven just to talk about that's that's the passage of despairing even of life itself. So Paul is in darkness. Even in darkness, he realizes that God comforts us. He is the God of all comfort. Comforts us in our affliction. Why? Because he loves us. But to what, what end also does that bring? His glory. It will bring his glory. That we can comfort others. That we can comfort others. God comforts us. So that we can comfort others. When we are comforting others, who's really comforting others? God. God. Why? How can you say that? When you comfort us? 
When you comfort others, God is really comforting others. He works through you. Who indwells you? The Holy Spirit. Who assembles the church? The Holy Spirit with Christ as the head. So, you know, Paul talks about it. It's almost comical. God comforts us. How does God comfort us? Through other people. God has comforted us so that we then may be a comfort to others. Uh, What a great grace to have in the midst of our darkness the comfort of the church. Brothers and sisters in the church, one of the things that Jeremy and I pray for when we meet together is that he would that God would give us eyes to see the needs within the body. Not only material needs, but also those who are in darkness. That we might weep with those who weep. So God brings us comfort as a present grace. John 15, 10 through 11. God brings us joy. Go ahead. Sorry. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is a section of scripture we come back to over and over again. It is a... It is a Christ's final words to his disciples. And so it is important. It is weighty. It is meaty. If we abide in his commandments, we abide in his love. If we walk in his commandments, we abide in his love. This is what Jesus tells the disciples. I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Hey, I tell you this, I tell you to abide in these commandments that you may abide in our love. Why? That your joy may be full. That you may be able to rejoice in all circumstances. Now when I'm in my when I'm in periods of darkness, am I more apt, do you think, to obey the Lord or am I more apt to disobey the Lord? We're weak. I'm distracted. My eyes are off. I'm in my <coughs> my little pity party. I'm in my own stew. I'm in my own goo. And so I am apt to wander. I am apt to find solutions to the ache of my soul in things apart from God. In things that are here and tangible that I can touch to get a fix now. Oh. one way or the other. But God's intention for us is his strength, as a present grace, is comfort, is joy. And in Romans, did I pass out Romans yet? Romans 5? 2 through 5. There's probably nothing that I need more readily in my despair than hope. To know that there is an end to this dark curtain that I cannot see. That one day it will be pulled back. And Paul talks about the process of this developed hope in our lives in this section. We know in verse 1 that we have been justified by faith. So we do have peace with God. We know this. We know this. It It is an objective truth that we have to keep telling ourselves. This has taken place. This is true. And then through him we have access by this faith into the grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
we don't see it now. The glory of God. We see smidgens of it. Where do you see smidgens of the glory of God? You know, you, go, you see smidgens of the glory of God in a, in a uh, where else do you see smidgens of the glory of God? Sunrise. Oh, there have been some good ones here lately. Sunrises, sunsets. Music, dancing. Beautiful music. Extraordinary dancing. That cracker. Redemption and restoration. Yes. I mean, oh, please. Please have your heart cued, your eyes open, your ears tuned to see things that you go, oh, this is good. Oh, God, thank you for that little glimpse of that glory that keeps my, my tongue attuned and, and my, my, my whetstone wet and prepared for that glory. Uh, but we're not there yet. And so Paul goes to look at our sufferings. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And you go, oh, that's where I am right now. That's this dark place. Why? Because I know that as I go back to John chapter 15 and I continue in my obedience, that my, my suffering will produce endurance. As I continue to follow hard after God, I will grow stronger even though I don't feel like it as I endure. And this endurance, what's that doing? That is shaping your character. You are becoming more Christ-like as you rejoice in the Father, as you have this hope, and as you persevere. And that character growth in you produces more hope. That hope will not disappoint you. It will not put you to shame. It isn't, a, it isn't a false hope. It is a guarantee. He says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is referred to as your seal of eternal life. You have been, you know, the, the king's signet ring is on your forehead. It is in your heart. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit God has given us as a guarantee. So we know God's love as we abide with him. And that hope will not disappoint us, not put, put us to shame. So the first part of God's provision for us is really in the midst of our agony to essentially sustain us in the moment. Okay, with strength, with joy, with comfort, with hope. These are just, these are life needs like air and water. But they are to help us to see the best thing, the best part of God's provision in our darkness, and that is himself. Himself. Um, go back to Ephesians chapter 3. That according to the riches of his glory, verse 16, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Essentially that you would be strengthened, that you would continue to abide with Christ. And that, verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend to understand with all the saints just how big God's love is for you. Verse 
that surpasses all knowledge, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. This is God's provision for us in this darkness. In John chapter 17, that is the end of that section where Jesus is with his disciples. And all of John 17 is actually Jesus' prayer to the Father. And at the end of it, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these, my disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The whole rest of that section is about unity is that we may be in God. What is the best thing that God provides us? Himself. In Isaiah 43, we looked at it last week. Though you pass through the rivers, though you pass through the fires, they will not consume you, they will not destroy you. God doesn't say, I'm going to take them away. He said, when you pass through these, you're going to pass through these. What does he promise in Isaiah 43, 1 to 4? Remember? I will be with you. I will be with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thrown in the fire. I will be with you. Our God can save us. If he doesn't, we're still not going to bow to your idols. So fine. Into the fire you go. I will be with you. Jeremy read this passage in Philippians chapter 3. Just last week. What a, I mean, we just finished watching the Fellowship or the Lord of the Rings trilogy over a couple of weeks and the quotes you know just some some things you go oh man that was that was great that was beautiful as you go through scripture there are things that are extraordinary oh this is i must i must cling to this and this is paul in philippians chapter 3 explaining that i had everything going for me i was I was the top of the top. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything now as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. What have I lost? Everything. But that's okay. It was trash. It was garbage. It was worse than refuse. Everything that we have. Paul's mind here is, think of everything that you have. It is rubbish compared with Christ. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Any means possible. I'll do anything for Christ. To know him, to be closer to him, to have a deeper relationship with him, Christ, all rubbish. In our darkness, God gives us himself. And in giving us himself, all those previous things, the hope, the joy, the comfort, and the strength, 
all come in with greater clarity. As he strengthens me to enjoy him more, I am stronger. As he comforts me to find comfort in him, I am comforted all the more. So this is like a spiritual fusion reactor. But it is all centered upon, not you and your misery, it's centered upon God. In this, God gives us another thing. He gives us purpose. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, is Joseph coming out of prison, being elevated to number two in the land of Egypt. What does he say in Genesis 50, verse 20, without looking? You can look. Okay, you can look. What does he say in Genesis 50, verse 20, to his brothers when they're thinking, we're going to die? Yes. Not only man meant it for evil. You, you, my brothers, you, my brothers meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Goes back to the Tozer quote at the beginning. God meant it for good. Do you believe that? Do you believe, you know, anybody who's been to Sunday school, who's been a Christian for a couple of years, knows Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good. Not for your good. All things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Does it feel like it? Is that true? Yes. Oftentimes we want to define good in different ways. In the next verse, for those who, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, to provide more clarity on the on the good and the Tozer quote. Yeah. It's interesting. Later in that chapter, Paul goes on in Romans eight to say, "What is going to keep us?" From the love of God in Christ Jesus. And he again speaks of all things. God works all things together for good. And then, let me read it. Uh, so I almost quote it. He says, He who did not spare his own son, this was the covetous verse, covetousness verse, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's going to with Christ give us all things. God works all things together for good. All those things Christ suffered, we are going to suffer as Christ suffered. But nothing, the passage then goes on to say, nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans chapter 8. God gives us a purpose. In the midst of our suffering, we can know that there is purpose. In Job, the passage is there in Job 1, 11 and 12 and 2, 4 through 6. Satan is conniving. You know, strike him and he will curse you to your face. God says, go. You may do thus and so with him, only do not take his life. You may have his flesh, only do not take his life. God has purpose. He doesn't tell Satan what the purpose is. He doesn't even tell Job what the purpose is. But God has purpose and a plan. He is not capricious in anything that he does. And so... The guy who pulls out in front of me and goes 35 miles an hour. Do I curse him? Oh, now I got to stop at a red light because you were going 35 miles an hour in a 45. And God didn't ordain that guy. 
Does God work all things together for good? Does he? Does he really? Do I believe that? Sometimes I wonder. God has a purpose for my suffering. God has a purpose for your life. Corbin, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would, please. And Tracy, Hebrews 11, please. God has a purpose for your suffering. God has a purpose for your life. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You are suffering here. Does God have a purpose for your life? Yes. And so if, if this is true... If God has a purpose for my life, I am going to entrust my life to him. I don't have to wrest the steering wheel from his hands. I can leave the steering wheel in his hands and know that he has purpose. And in so doing, I will continue to do good. Let those who suffer according to God's will... Okay, you didn't bring this on yourself because you were a knucklehead. You know, because you robbed a bank. Okay. You brought that on yourself. Essentially, suffering in accordance with righteousness. All of chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 talks about this rejoicing in our sufferings here and is capstoned by verse 19. So in my life, I know that even if there is suffering, there is a purpose. God also gives us the hope of a future. Gives us the provision of looking to the future. Because we know this isn't the end. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, I believe. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a He has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for you a place. Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. We have... We have a place being prepared for us. I mean, anybody gone on a vacation that you planned for? Like a really Gucci vacation? One where you go, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be so amazing. And the anticipation. Somebody just got back from Italy not long ago. So the anticipation. I had a friend who just got back. He was at work this week. He went on a two-week cruise from San Francisco to Hawaii, through the Hawaiian Islands and back. Tough. Okay? You know, oh, as you're going through work and the grind of work. Are you anticipating this? You go, oh, I got to go to Hawaii. On a boat where they feed me all the time and I can just sit and read and I do nothing. Or I get to go paragliding in the Alps. Oh, are you like going, holy cow, two more days, baby? You know, are you, are you excited about this vacation? Yes, of course you were, I hope. Do you have a pulse? But that should be our heart for heaven. This is something I have to cultivate. I have to remember this. 
I have to fix my eyes on Jesus. I have to set my mind on things above because if I don't, I'm going to get bogged down under the sun. I am going to be stuck in periods of darkness. Now, I shared with you guys before that it's quite possible that in your darkness, you will never come out of it. You will be in darkness to your death. And none of these things that we have talked about so far is nullified. I can still find comfort in my darkness, still have hope in my darkness, still have joy in my darkness. God will never leave me in my darkness. I still have purpose in this darkness. I still have a future. Oh God, in this concentration camp, I know I can rejoice because I know what my future holds. When I sing praises going to the gas chamber. Paul and Silas in prison. All right. That's God's provision for us in this darkness. So let's, let's kind of make this practical here because you are going to find yourself in darkness. This, isn't, this, is, this is taking all of this together these last four weeks. The first thing you really have to do when you are in darkness is admit it. They're going, everything's great. Liar! You have to admit, I'm terrible. Life stinks right now. Don't hide it from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't try to numb it. Recognize it for what it is as you would recognize a warning light on your dashboard. Because until you recognize it and admit it, you aren't going to deal with it. I wish this was a cool acronym. This isn't going to be a cool acronym. I tried to think of one. Couldn't. All those years in the Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I were any good, this would be a PowerPoint presentation. But it's not either. Um, once I know I'm here, and the first place you need to turn is to the living God. We are not apt to go there first. What are we apt to do first? Drug complain. Google it. You know... Uh, some, something else. I mean, all those bad, you know, the, the improper ways to handle it. We are apt to go there first. And so I cry out to God, God, I don't know. Oh, guard me, protect me, lead me not into temptation. <coughs> Is it wrong to say, God, get me out of this. Save me. But what if God means this for your good? Is it wrong to pray that, even if God a intends no, this? A no is still an answer. Okay. Paul prayed that he would, that God would take the thorn from his flesh. Okay. So we got Paul as an example. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> okay. Take this cup from me. So there's there's two biggies right there. Joseph, while he was in prison, and the other guys were getting out because of his interpreting their dreams, go, hey, hey, guys, don't forget me. Yeah, thanks, two years later. So it's not wrong to plead for God's healing. Uh, it's to be assumed that you will beg for that. Understand that relief may not come. And so even in this darkness, as I pray with God, it's, it's a God, give me wisdom, help me understand if there be any wicked way in me, expose that to me. If I need to deal with sin, God, help me to see, help me to know. Pray, pray, commune with the living God. Feed on what? 
His word. Feed on his word. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes. Oh God. And don't play Bible roulette. Please don't. You know, go, go to Luke 15 where pastor's preaching. We're going into Titus next week. Go read through Titus. Just read through your natural course of reading. God has an extraordinary and miraculous way of meeting you in the most peculiar passages where you're at. You know, I never really thought I'd get that, that comfort from God in that passage, but he did. Great quote from John Piper. Satan devotes 168 hours a week trying to deceive you. Do you think you can maintain a renewed mind with a 10-minute glance at God's book once a day? If that much. So when I read it, meditate on it throughout the day. Call to mind what you read that morning. Call to mind what you read last night or whenever you read it. Call to mind what Jeremy preached on. Call to mind some of these passages that we have brought up as anchors to your soul. Meditate on this. That is how you will feed. Be a cow. Bring it up again. Chew on it. Fellowship. God did not intend you to fly solo. God did not intend for you to fly solo. I am not saying hang out with your friends. Unless your friends are believers. Yeah, you can hang out with your friends. But in your darkness, bring saints around you. Who can pray for you? Who can exhort you? Who can encourage you? That is a key aspect of the church in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it talks about, oh, you know, when some of you are weak, the rest of the body compensates. You know, we don't just hack off the leg because uh, uh, legs, there's some pain in it. Today, no, we compensate for it. We put it on crutches. We bind it up. We try to bring healing. And so the body is is huge as we pray for one another as we look after one another and then in these things and I kind of alluded to it in the prayer I have to have a time when I am in the darkness of examination why am I here Why am I here? Through the Holy Spirit indwells believers. God the Son is the Word. I am praying our Father who art in heaven. So you've got the whole Trinity at work here as I then go, why am I here? That's what Job was crying out to his friends. Why am I here? I've got a slew of verses I didn't include here, but I'm going to just kind of fly through these. From Job, in Job chapter 5, verse 8, Job seeks God and commits his cause to him. In chapter 4, verse 17, Job recognizes his own fallibility. In Job 6, 24, Job is willing to know. And so... You know, as I, as I commune with brothers and sisters in Christ, even in the midst of my agony, I'm like, do you see anything? Is there anything, are any of my wheels wobbly that you notice? God, the Holy Spirit working through believers, man. I would trust you guys than most psychologists or psychiatrists out there. To lead me in the way of truth. 
Job asks God and man in 6.30. Job trusts God in finality in Job 13.15. Ultimately, I trust God in this. After I've examined myself, I trust God. And in Job chapter 31, Job chapter 31, all of Job 31, Job is willing to make right anything he has broken. Amend his wrongs, which may be required of us in the midst of our darkness. Last thing. In all of these things, rest. And I don't mean take a nap. But as a believer, we can rest in the truth of God's love. We can rest in the mercy of God. We can take his yoke upon us and learn from him because his burden is easy, his burden is light. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. Matthew eleven twenty eight. So we're going to find ourselves in darkness. Why? Because we're broken. The world's broken. The world is going to try and point you to some solution away from the living God. God points another way. God doesn't point you out of the darkness, but he abides with you in the darkness and provides a provision for us to potentially see us through to the other side, but at least for glory and his good in the midst of it. All right, two minutes left. Questions? Any thoughts, comments as we blew through that. Next week, we're going to go into Titus. Again, we're going to pick up where we were six months ago in Titus chapter 2. So let me encourage you to read through. Titus is a letter. It's to be read as a letter. So you should be able to sit down and read a whole four chapters in probably one sitting. In maybe 20, 25 minutes, depending on how quickly you read. And we'll pick up in the middle of chapter 2 next. Actually, we're going to kind of recap there, lay our foundation, and we'll pick up in chapter 2 next week. That's it. You're dismissed.